Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Up until this point, we've uh, talked about the Apostle Paul, who is the author of this, this book. Um, we, we've talked about that the title of this series is Fighting for Grace, and so far it's been theological. Um, it's been Paul explaining what is the gospel and how a person is saved and made right before the Lord, which is by faith and faith alone, um, by grace and grace alone, God's undeserved gift. And last week we looked at Paul's testimony and how he himself was a true apostle called by God, and he preaches the true gospel, which is not man's gospel, but it's God's gospel. And then tonight, we have the opportunity to look now at uh, one of my favorite sections in Scripture because you have two strong leaders in conflict with one another. Um, Mainly, it's Paul speaking, so we hear Paul's side of the story of him and Peter going back and forth. And so when you hear me say the name Cephas, just just know that that's Peter. In fact, I'll probably just say Peter. And it's the same Peter that walked with Jesus that was one of the original disciples and apostles of God. And so we'll pick up there in verse 11. Before we do, would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to your word. God, we anticipate, Lord, um, what would proceed it, an opportunity to remember you in communion, your broken body and your blood shed for all that would come to you, Father. And God, also, Lord, to see those who would be baptized, Lord, as an outward expression of the inward reality of what you've done. But God, we pray for your spirit to be with us, Lord, and the teaching of your word that you would illuminate it, that you to remove me, Father God, that we may see you clearly and understand your word. God, I pray that it would be spoken in a way that speaks to your people and to those who are not your people. God, we thank you so much for the spirit, and we ask that you'd pour out your spirit in ways that we can see and know the glory of God as seen in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Um, Yesterday was a beautiful day, as is today, and my wife was putting our kids down for a nap, and I thought, you know what, it'd be really cool for me to go on a bike ride. I thought, you know what, I will get into my inner Tempe roots and and get on a bike and ride it. So I took a bike ride from my house down Mill Avenue all the way to the Tempe Town Lake, and I got to the Tempe Town Lake, and I sat on the bench there and just looked, and I'm telling you, I don't know if you guys were at the Tempe Town Lake yesterday, probably not, but I was there, and I just thought, this is probably the most beautiful site that I can be at here in Tempe. Not because the lake was beautiful, the lake is just a man-made... irrigation-filled water, but the, the people around. He had families around just hanging out with each other, friends hanging out with each other, boyfriend and girlfriend hanging out and enjoying themselves. And so, like what I do, I'm a people watcher. I, I admit it. I like to go to malls. I like to go to places like that to stare at you. And so, not in awkward ways, but, oh, man, that guy eats with his mouth open. That girl doesn't eat. And, and what, 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 whatever, whatever I see, right? And I just kind of sometimes journal it down, not hating, just being, you know, observ- just making observations, right? One observation that I made yesterday was there was an Asian family that was eating to my right, to the right of me, and then there was an African American family to the to the, to the left of me, and then and then and then there then there was um, uh, just a couple that was hanging out. It looked like the guy liked the girl, and the girl wasn't really too sure if she liked him. And and there were some older people, there were some younger people. What I'm, what I'm trying to communicate is it was a, just a very diverse group of people. And I thought to myself, and, and I, man, I wonder if I can convince these people to come to my church. 
Like, I, was wondering, I, I, I would love to see that when I, when, I, when I got up to preach that I would see all of these types of people at my church. Now, I didn't, do, I didn't get on the bench and say, here you all, here, you today, gathering at the Tempe Town Lake. That, that's, that's, that's not what I did, but it crossed my mind, right? What, what, what makes these people gather together? What would draw them together? And, and in this case, it was a man-made lake, beautiful weather that God had provided, and yet they all wanted to come together to be at this particular place. The reason why that was significant to me, knowing that I was going to be teaching the day, was the fact that I read through the scriptures and I see something similar to that. Not something that's man-made, but something that Paul had been talking about and the Bible points to, and ultimately, Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus. And when I read through the scriptures, I see that this is something that, that God is doing. Before I became a Christian, the whole idea of diversity was something I just liked. And, and not diversity in, in what we read about in papers, but diversity in way more of an eclectic way. So not just different ethnicities, but different types of people. I love meeting people that are completely different than me. I love learning from people that are different than me. Um, they bother me sometimes, and I know that I bother them. That's just, that's just going to happen. We're going to butt heads on some things. And, and then when I became a Christian and I began to read my Bible, I realized I'm not the only person who would like to see people come together from different ethnicities and walks of life. God does too. And I thought, this is pretty cool. God and I, we think alike. That's a good thing, right? And, and you see in the pages, so even though God chose a particular people, the Israelites, he chose them by, by grace, even though it was an ethnic people, the whole purpose was to display his glory to the other nations. And then when you read through the pages, you see that God used significant people that were not necessarily the, the, the dominant culture at that moment, or at least in biblical languages, it wasn't his chosen people of Israelites. We see people like Ruth, we see people like Rahab, who were, who were Gentiles, non-Jewish people. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes in the scene, we see the same thing. We see Jesus speaking to the Jewish people, but Jesus also speaking to the Saturian, who was a, a, a Roman soldier, a Roman leader, and, and Jesus blesses him as well. And then we get to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts was the Acts of the Holy Spirit in which the apostles went around planting churches and we saw the Spirit move. And then what we see there is, again, people of all nations and all tribes and all tongues coming together over the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the city where we see the first multicultural church was a city called Antioch. And this is the context of where uh, today's section takes place. Antioch in itself was a city that was an urban city, meaning they were known for their philosophies, the cults, the religions, and their thought. In fact, um, one, one historian said that they prided themselves off the fact that they were a people who tolerated different beliefs, much like any city. So they're, they're not a melting pot, but more like a, a tossed salad of people that were there. Different thoughts, different ideas, different philosophies. And one 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 religion that came there was, was Judaism, so Jewish people. And they were Hellenistic Jews, meaning they had more of a Greek background. They weren't the normal Jewish people who grew up in Jerusalem, but they spoke Greek. But they brought with them their religion. And then this, this particular author was saying they were compelled to this religion, some of the Gentiles, because it talked of one God only and the ethics that this God had. And so, in Acts chapter 8, you see Stephen. Stephen was martyred. He was murdered for his faith. And Jews begin to scatter. And one of the places that they settled was this, this, this urban city called Antioch. And then the gospel was brought there. And the gospel was brought there. The same, what they called God-fearing Gentiles, began to believe upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before, they had just had heard of, of the Old Testament scriptures. Now they heard of Jesus, and they begin to believe. And the cool thing about that is that, that, that I've liked reading the scriptures is it was at that point that the surrounding culture, so the, the people who were not Christians around them, begin to look and go, okay, this is different. Because in the religions, people are usually the same type of people. In the cults, they're usually the same type of more wacky people. And then the, the philosophers are usually smart people. Yet, with this group, there's educated and uneducated. 
There's old and there's young. There's Jew and there's Gentile. So what label will we give them? And so they couldn't think of a particular label, so the label that they gave them, the nickname they gave them, was Christians. In Acts 11, we read about this. The Christians, we didn't come up with our name. And just, you know, Christians usually don't come up with cool names. And so it had to be people who were not Christians. All the cool things we do, we do before we were Christian, and then we try to, re, like, re, you know, reproduce it, and we end up making bad T-shirts. All right? So there's, there's a, there's a, what? Come on. You know I love you. So there's a, there's, a, there's a sense here where the unbelievers at that time, people who, they said, okay, that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to come from different backgrounds, different education levels, but to follow Jesus. The one thing that was unique about all of them wasn't what, the way that they voted, but that they followed Jesus. And so it's in that urban, diverse context that Peter finds himself now uh, that we see in uh, Galatians chapter 2. Verse 11 says this, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but but when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So here's the context here. Peter's now in Antioch. Peter didn't grow up in Antioch. Peter grew up in Jerusalem, so in a more conservative background where people around him had the same values and the same beliefs, and, and he became a Christian. We walked with Jesus. He became a believer. For a Jewish person to hang out with the Gentile was a no-no and especially to eat with the Gentile. To, to eat with someone meant that you shared in the same blessing they did and the blessing of God. And so Peter, as a, as a good Jewish person, would never have eaten with Gentiles, not just because of their race, but because of the type of foods they ate. Peter didn't eat those foods. Yet, what we read about in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 10, is that Peter has a vision. And then God speaks to him, and he shows him these different animals, and he says, Peter, rise and kill and eat. And Peter goes, oh, no, no, God. I, I'm paraphrasing here. Oh, oh no, God, I, I can't eat food like that. And God goes, don't call food common um, that I've made clean. And so Peter was told at that moment, ultimately, you can eat these type of foods, and the gospel would go forth to people who eat these types of food. Meanwhile, same time, there's a man named Cornelius who's a Jewish person who's eating his, excuse me, he was praying and an angel comes to him and tells him, there's a guy, Peter. Peter's going to come to you. Peter's going to share the gospel to you. Wait for him to come. Well, he sends his man to get Peter. Peter comes to this Gentile person. He's in a Gentile house, which at that time, it, it was just really weird. Peter's in this house and he begins to share the gospel with them. And what begins to happen as we read about in Acts chapter 10 is that these people begin to believe in Jesus. In fact, after Peter preaches, it says this in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak, speaking in tongues, and they were extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone hold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. So, so this, this is how it worked. Peter came. He shared the gospel with them. These, these non-Jewish people, the Gentile men and women, they believed the gospel. And Peter said, oh my goodness, you guys are Christians. Who can hold water from you? Why don't you get baptized? And, and notice, he didn't say, we're going to wait a little while till you see if you're really Christian, we're going to wait to see how your life is, to see if you're obedient before you get baptized. It was, no, if you believe in Jesus, be baptized. There will be some of you today who will say, I believe in Jesus, therefore I'm going to get baptized. Peter was freed now by God to go, hey, you can eat whatever you want to eat now. You can date whoever you want to date now. You can hang out who you want to hang out with now. And so Peter thought, this is great because there was always this girl that was a little darker than me that I kind of wanted to date. No, I just... Peter, Peter, Peter was already married at this time. 
<laughs> Peter now in Antioch, he gets there, and Paul says he was, eating with the, he was eating with the Gentiles. He was breaking bread. He was saying, you and I, were like one. I'm getting to know different cultures. I'm going to eating with you. The, the way that you get to know people and the way that you get to know other cultures is by eating their food. And so Peter did it. And this wasn't a one-time thing. The language here says that this is something that Peter continued to do. This is the pattern in Peter's life. So he would sew up to his friend's house, and he would eat. And, and, and I'm sure they had great conversations. And he was like, oh, man, your mom makes the best fried chicken. Man, she, man, she can cook. And, and, you know, he probably went to services that they had their church services. Same God, but different expressions. Man, this is great. You guys, you guys express yourselves a little different than we do. Wow, you sing and clap at the same time. That's Singing and clapping at the same time. That's amazing. Uh, and, and, and he's watching them. And, and, you know, just like anything else, when you find yourself around people who are not like you, 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 you say some things you probably shouldn't say, and someone's got to take you aside and correct you, like Peter probably says, man, can all you guys play basketball? <laughs> Somebody probably took him aside. Peter, Peter, you, sound, you can't say stuff like that. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That, that, that's, that's what happens, right? That's what happens. When, when my wife... Uh, came the first time she got to hang out with my whole family and my side of the family. My mom threw this barbecue for us before we got married, and she came, it's probably 40, 50, 60 people, and this backyard, and my wife's the only white person there, right? And, you know, and my, my cousin, my, my cousins are different, you know? God bless them. And then they, they speak in a little slang sometimes, and so one of them, the girl came to my wife and was like, hey, you want to slap some? And so Holly comes in, and she goes, man, your cousin just said, do you want to slap some? What does that mean? First, my wife doesn't talk like that, but um, I said, oh, they just want to play dominoes. Like, you slap, she goes, oh, okay, I thought I was going to join a gang or something. It's like, <laughs> next week, <laughs> next week, right? <laughs> she learned, she learned. On the flip side, I had to learn um, how different people eat steaks, right? So I remember the first time sitting down with a friend of mine, and, and we're sitting down there, the steaks come out, and I look at the steaks, and I go, okay, I'm going to need two things. I'm going to need one for this steak to go back on the grill for a little bit longer, and some A1 sauce. And my friend looked at me like, you can ne- you, that is a disrespect to the person who cooked the food. I'm like, it's a disrespect to me to, to serve me this, right? And, and he's like, no, you, you, you don't do that. And I, I was like, all right. And he goes, you, you got to eat it bloody. And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to eat anything that looks like it can get up and eat me, right? <laughs> But I learned. I learned, and I, I stomached it for that night, right? You, when, when you begin to eat with people, you, you show something. When you invite people in your house to eat, you say, I, I want to get to know you. I, I want to get to know more about you, and I want you to get to know me. And when people invite you over, there's an extension there. It says, I, I, I want to be in some sort of a relationship with you. And that's what Peter was communicating, because that's what the gospel had opened up for him and for all who would believe. Yet, there was a transition for Peter. But Paul says in, in verse 11 here that he had to oppose him to his face because he stood condemned. And that, that word p- oppose there doesn't mean that when he confronted him that he was angry with him. That, that Paul began to witness a pattern about Peter's life that began to change. And he says he was, he was condemned. He stood condemned. And the word condemned there is not the, the, the word that we would think about condemnation, that he was going to lose his salvation. No, Peter was a Christian. He was not going to lose his salvation. He was condemned, meaning he was guilty. He, he was guilty of his actions. And, and, and Paul says, I had, I, had, I had to confront him. And here's why he said he had to confront him. Because b- before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So here's what's happening. Now people from James. Now James was Jesus' half-brother. And so he's saying people from Jerusalem were coming. 
So, so people who were a little bit more conservative, people who, again, had a little bit more traditional values, they, Peter thought maybe they would see the fact that he was a little bit lax in his, in his Christianity, not sinning, but just not living the way that they lived. Not, not that he was doing anything in sin, but maybe expressing his freedoms in a way that, that would be different than, than maybe the normal Jewish Christian would have. And so when they came, he began to question himself, and he, and he was kind of caught in a pickle, like, what do I do? And so this, this is what happened to Peter, because Peter now, because of fear of these particular guys, begins to now separate from his, from his, from his friends, from the people that he had hung out with, because he feared these people, and he, he feared their thoughts. He feared what they would think about him. Now, this is the problem because we're not just talking about a normal dude. We're talking about Peter. And Peter was a pillar of, of the Christian faith at this moment. He was someone who walked with Jesus, someone who, who walked with Jesus, knew Jesus, was taught by Jesus. St. Peter that we see in Acts that preached one of the best sermons where hundreds of people came to be, become Christians on the spot. And, and, and yet now, this, this guy who knows his theology is beginning to separate himself. And so not only was it insecurity on Peter's part, but his insecurity as a leader caused insecurity for the people who were following him. First, you just deal with the Gentiles. It, the Gentiles had to be thinking, well, are we not good enough? For, for a while here, you were eating all our pork chops, right? And now all of a sudden you can't eat with this? And the language that it says that he was drawing back is a military term, um, that used to communicate when, when um, armies would retreat for shelter or safety. And so it communicates that it was sneaky. He, he didn't sit down with them, have a conversation. He just kind of just said, no, I'm not going to come anymore. I, I'm not going to hang out with these guys anymore. I'm going to hang out with, with the guys from Jerusalem because I fear them, ultimately. And so you've got to think about the insecurities about the Gentiles. I don't know if you've ever been in this position or you've known people to be in this position where people will just be rejected because of you know, how they vote or how they talk or their skin color, whatever it may be. And that's, that's what was happening here. There was like second-class Christians. I, one, one, I remember, and I've shared this before, this girl that I dated, uh, we had dated for a couple months, and then I said, hey, I think it's about time I meet your parents. And she goes, ooh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh, that, that didn't sound too like, promising. What's wrong? And she goes, uh, well, first, listen, my parents aren't racist. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Teaching point here. When everybody, when anyone says... I'm not a racist or not a racist, usually what that means is whatever proceeds out of their mouth is probably going to be the most racist thing that you've ever heard, right? Um, and so what she said was like, they just don't like black people. And I was like, well, wow, that's amazing because uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not. Um, and and the, the sad part about it was like we went to the same church, not just me and this girl, but her, her parents. Like we, we sat underneath the same teaching. And, and I ended up talking to her dad and mom and, and, and heard their ridiculous thoughts about um, interracial dating and stuff that was completely non-biblical in uh, uh, like 1905-ish. But, but <laughs> so I broke up with her and um, not, you know, because I, I felt like, you know what, I'm probably going to meet this girl named Holly after this and marry her and have two beautiful kids. So I did the right thing. <laughs> but, but, but at the time, I, I, I remember talking to my pastor about it. My pastor at the time, I'm like, I don't get this. And he was just saying, man, I, I apologize, but there are some people who still treat people that way. And even as I was doing this study, I, I was reading about a church in, in South Africa. It was a, it's a good Presbyterian, good gospel-centered church that the way they used to do communion was they would have all the white people go first, and then, and then the blacks come. And you look at that, and you go, man, these are Bible-believing Christians, Right? That's why I think this is probably the most dangerous, is that what Paul is doing and pointing out Peter is saying, 
just because you're theologically accurate, just because you have good doctrine, just because we're a gospel-centered church, doesn't mean that you're always going to live out the gospel. It doesn't mean that you're always going to live out the gospel implications on your life. So, and that's exactly what was happening here. Paul says, listen, yeah, you're acting like a racist but because, because you're not really living out the gospel implications. You know what? When we, when we as Christians, those of you in this room who are Christians, when we fail to live out gospel implications, not only is it bad for other believers, but it's bad for those who have never believed upon the gospel. I mean, there, there are thousands of people who have rejected Christianity. And not because they've rejected Jesus, but because they've rejected Christians. When you, when you look at the history, our history, as a Christian history, if you're a Christian here, you've got to connect yourself to every single person who's got up and said, I believe in Jesus Christ and in the name of Jesus, and they've done things. Like, our history is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. There's some things that Christians have done that have been amazing in society, even in our own culture. But equally, there's been some things that have been very dark and very bleak. I mean, you, you can look at easily at slavery and racism in, in, our, in our recent history, um, or one, one that I think today, that, uh, a battle that I think we're losing, if I can even say a battle, and it's, it's our posture that we have towards people from different political groupings, which I've, I've never gotten um, because I, I didn't grow up in a house where politics were talked about a lot, but I, I've heard one Christian friend say, you know what, I don't think anybody can be a Christian and be a Democrat. I'm like, oh, that, that sounds winsome. And then on the other side, I've had one guy say, dude, do you know Marcus is a Republican? A Christian Republican? I've never heard of it. And I was like, me neither, right? And, and, and we, but, but we find ourselves like being identified with something or even, even worse than the political part is, is our homophobic stance that we have against the culture around us. Um, we have in our culture, for whatever reason, as Christians, um, we have done a terrible job at presenting the gospel to, to people of different sexualities. Probably three years ago, three or four years ago, there was, a, there was an article in a local paper where this, this guy was writing in response to some Christian guy, Christian pastor somewhere in some other obscure city, who someone put a camera in front of and a mic, um, which is usually dangerous, and then he just started talking about um, just homosexuals are going to hell, and they're this, and they're that, and it was just really ugly. And I remember watching it where this guy wrote an article, and I'm reading the article, and, and, and two emotions are coming up, and both of them are anger, and one of, one of, the, <laughs> one of, one of them is because this guy's quoting the scripture, and this guy himself um, said that he was a, you know, a, a writer who happened to be a homosexual, and he's writing, and he's saying, your Bible says this, your Bible says this, your Bible says that, and you're not living this way. Now, part of it was he was taking a lot of the scriptures and taking a lot of context, but then the other part of it, my whole point was like, this is what he thinks Christianity is. This is what he thinks about Jesus, which is completely wrong. I don't think he's ever met him. I don't think he really knows what Christianity is about. I, I hardly ever do this, um, read something, and then go, I'm going to write this guy. One, I don't really write very well, but I found his email address, and I just start typing and typing. And I said, hey, man, I know you don't know me. I'm some random dude that lives in some random city. Um, I don't know where I was living at the time. And I just said, I read your article, uh, and here's what I think. I think you might have met something or been introduced to something that may have not been uniquely Christian. I'm not trying to say the guy wasn't a Christian. I think he is a Christian because he says he's a Christian. However, here's what the gospel lets me know. And I just told him, I said, you know what? Homosexuals, drunkards, liars, swindlers, revilers, whatever those words mean, those people that we, that we read about in the Bible, it says in 1 Corinthians that none of them receive the kingdom of God. And I said, here's the thing. Every single one of us are a part of that. And then right after that, I said, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this, such were some of you, meaning that the people who God saves, the people who will go to heaven, are people who at some point in their life were 
homosexuals, drunkards, revilers. And I said, so the gospel is not something that you're excluded. You're excluded from the gospel because of your sexual orientation or because of your race or because of your, the way you vote. And I just kind of wrote that to him and didn't know what to expect. Within an hour, he got back to me. Oh, man, thanks for doing this. Can, can we print this in the paper? And I said, no, unless you're going to have somebody like edit it. Um, and, and, and I said, honestly, I did this because of you. I don't know who you are. I'd love to get together with you. And he goes, oh, that'd be great. And uh, it, it didn't happen. Um, but the point was, he said, you gave me a different view of Christians. I still don't believe, but at least it's a different view. And by no means is that like, oh, yeah, go Ricardo. It's, it's my, my own uh, failures in that area. I've told you guys before, I have a brother of mine who's openly professing homosexual, and I learn from him. I try to learn from him. Um, not because just to get him saved, but I want to know, what's my, what do you, when you see my church, when you see us as Christians, what do you think? And that's one of the things that they communicate. When I say they, my friends who are homosexuals that say, this is what we think. We think that you guys hate us. And if they sit down with one of you guys, I guarantee you guys say, no, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. But, but when we begin to live, when we begin to live outside of what the gospel says, people begin to question Christianity. But I'm so thankful for some people, especially someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who, who going through and seeing racism of Christian people, seeing their actions not being in step with the gospel, what he, what he says, if you read the letters of Birmingham, he said that from the Birmingham jail, he doesn't say, you know what, since Christians are acting this way, let's just stop being Christians, right? He goes, no. He writes to Christians, and what does he say? Hey, Christians, be Christian. No. He goes, I love Jesus. He goes, I love the church. I love what God's doing in the church. We just got to see what Jesus is doing. And once we're seeing what Jesus is doing, now we'll get our act right. And that's exactly what Paul goes and opposes Peter for. In verse 14, he says this to him. He says, but when I, or verse 13, excuse me, he says, and the rest of the Jews, they acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So Paul sees the hypocrisy, which literally means um, that they had a different mask on. And so in Greek culture, the way that they would act is they'd put a mask on and they would act out of character. And so Paul's saying, it's not that you're not a Christian. You're just not acting like a Christian. It's not that you're not walking with Jesus. It's that you're acting out of a different character. And he says, not only are you doing it, but because of Peter's influence, that even Barnabas, which bothered Paul, because in, in Antioch, the church that I told you about, um, once they got started, Barnabas went to this church to see what God was doing. And when Barnabas saw this eclectic church, he, 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 he contacted Paul and had the apostle Paul come and do this church with him. And so now the apostle Paul is here watching Barnabas walk away from what he believed, what he taught this church. And he goes, no way, no way. In verse 14, he says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew, Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's kind of like a tongue twister. So let me explain that for, for a second. What, what, Peter, what Paul is saying is, Peter, if you are a Jew, speaking in the sense of if you're a Jewish person and you want to obey the uh, ceremonial laws, that's cool. But I saw you eating pork, bro. Why are you doing that? Because it's okay. So why are you now saying it's not okay? You're a hypocrite. And so he says, I, he opposed them before everybody. And, and I want to make clarification here because I want to give you guys a license to go around talking to people. You're not in step with the truth of the gospel. He, he, listen, no. Paul had seen this pattern for a period of time. That's why he confronted him. It wasn't a one-time deal. He said, this is kind of your lifestyle now. And because his sin was in public, he, he exposed him publicly. And even more important, because he was a leader and because of his influence. And so, all right, I got to teach you guys the truth. And, and, and he goes, he doesn't confront Peter and say, Peter, you need to be a better Christian. Peter, you, you, you need to stop acting like a bigot. Peter, look what you're doing. You're getting all these people to walk away from God. 
He just points them back to the most important thing, the central message of the Bible, the central message of, of this book. He goes, you're not in step with the truth of the, the, in conduct with the truth of the gospel. Meaning, the gospel, to believe upon the gospel has nothing to do with your behavior, but upon believing in the gospel, it should change your behavior. It should change the way you live. That now, now seeing the love of Christ, in light of the love of Christ, that there's a way that the gospel calls us to live. And it should affect the way we think. It should affect the way that we vote. It should affect the way that we love people. It should affect whom and whom we choose not to eat to, whom and we choose not to marry. It should affect those things. But it should affect in a way that brings light to and brings witness to the glory of God. And so when Paul opposes him, he says, that's not what you're doing here. And so he, he doesn't make fun of him. He doesn't humiliate him. He points him back to the very thing that Peter knows to be true, and that is God, the way God accepts. Because you know how we get there? Not to how we become racist. I don't, my assumption is most of you, hopefully none of you in this room are, are racist. And if you are, we love you. It'd be, never mind. And so in, 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 in the text here, if you go back to see why we do that, verse 12 says this. The reason why Peter was doing this, it says it because he was fearing the circumcision party. So, so another word for that could be fear of man or the desire of human approval or the fear of being rejected. And so if we get, to the, if we get the sin underneath the sin, if we get all, all past the racial overtones, because most of us in here, we're not. We don't, we don't bend that way. But the issue underneath the issue was not that Peter was being a racist. The issue was Peter was forgetting the gospel and he was forgetting where he had received acceptance from. Therefore, the, the Jewish men that were coming in somehow had convinced Peter that that's the acceptance that he needed. And Peter now had to earn it. It's human approval. And if we just be honest, if you were honest with yourself, you would say, yeah, when I sin most of the time, it's because I'm trying to impress somebody. Either my spouse, who I love, my boss, the people who work for me, my friends, a particular girl, people in my community group, whatever, you, you, you find yourself doing things, sometimes good things, but the motivation of why you're doing it is you're trying to earn someone's acceptance. You're trying to earn someone's approval. What Peter was doing here is junior high playground nonsense. I mean, at, at its essence, it was who are the most popular people here? Is it the Jewish people or is it the Gentiles? Whose friends, all right, if I were going to lose some friends, who would I rather lose? And that, 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 was, that was silly. And yet, every single one of us, we do silly things because of it. We find ourselves doing, doing, doing things we really think we should be doing. Again, you could be doing really good things, but you're doing it all because of what people think. I, I've shared this with you before. I think the reason why I learned how to read the Bible, the reason why I learned theology, for the most part, was because I just wanted to be known as someone who knew the Bible and who learned theology. One of the best conversations I ever had when a guy convicted me on sin was a guy who I was a co-pastor with at the Gilbert campus, and he pulled me aside and he says, hey, you know what? Man, you know, God's doing good stuff in your life, and you, when people start talking good stuff, you know, okay, just give it to me. You're about to say something bad. And, and he said, um, I feel like you try to outcompete me, and I feel like you try to outcompete me about what books you've read or, you know, what sermons you've listened to. And what was really sad was, like, I had to tell him, you're right. And, and part of it is I looked at him and was like, because you're so smart, man. And I thought, you know what, I, wa I want to be seen as smarter than you, or I at least want to be known as someone who does know the Bible. And I was just convicted. And um, I'm glad I learned it, and I'm glad I knew it, and yet I was reading it, and yet I wasn't getting its central message. That acceptance does not come from man, but acceptance comes from God. That, that the approval that, that I really needed, the approval that you really needed, comes from God. And, and, and no matter what, your, friend, your family can't get you that approval, your job can't get you that approval, only God can, and he does in Christ Jesus. And this type of approval, you don't earn it. He gives it to you freely. 
And because he gives it to you freely, he never takes it away. That's what the Bible says. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And then when it comes to being re- fear of rejection, people can reject you and it will hurt. Yeah, it hurt. But it's, it, the worst thing would have happened if God rejects you. And yet God will never reject those who are in Christ Jesus. Because on the cross, that was his way of saying, I'm rejecting Jesus because I'm paying for your penalty of your sin on the cross, past, present, and future. And so what Paul, Paul goes, Peter, look at the gospel. Look at the gospel. Walk in step with the truth of the gospel. And that's what we all have to do. When it comes to repentance for us, it's turning back to the gospel and soon who we are, knowing that we were fully accepted in Christ Jesus, that when God sees Jesus, he sees us. He loves us. And, and, and then on the, on, the, on the flip side of that, when, he, when what God communicates to us and what we got to communicate to each other is, it, it, I could never give you the approval that you need. No one can. God does, and he does it, he does it freely. And so the step, walking in step with the truth of the gospel, one commentary says it this way. The way, another way to say that is, Peter, remember the goal of the gospel. The goal of the gospel was never pick a side. The goal of the gospel was never act in a certain way. The goal of the gospel was, and keeping in context what we're talking about, was God himself inviting people to eat with him. When we read in Matthew 25 and we, we see about the great banquet, you see God himself saying, I'm preparing a banquet. And there's ultimately an end-time banquet where God, God and his people will eat together. And the ultimate just signifying how God wants to be with us, to know us, and for us to know him completely. And so the, gospel, the goal of the gospel is that God invites all people and all types of people of all races and all tongues and all backgrounds. He invites uptown and downtown, emo and, and hip-hop and hipster and nerds. And so everybody, everybody, no matter what background you come from, God says, I invite to eat with, I invite to eat with you. That's the goal of the gospel. It's to call people. And, it, and the goal is not get yourself right before you come. The goal is not stop what you're doing before you come. The goal is not you can become a Christian if you, if you, if you stop talking a certain way or you, you stop sinning in a particular way. The goal is God calls all people. The, the best way I can illustrate this, and, and we'll close, is there was a professor I had, and he does inner city ministry in, in the middle of Seattle. And, and he's been doing it for 30 years. And he shares a story about how they were in Seattle, they were getting the influx of Ethiopians that were refugees that were there, and, um, but there were great restaurants there. And so he asked a kid, 17-year-old kid that was a homeless kid, he goes, hey, where, do you, where can I eat to get the best Ethiopian food? Like the kind of food that you just eat and you eat with your hands and you share. And he goes, oh man, if you go down the street, make a right, there's this great Ethiopian restaurant there. And so the guy tells the kid, he goes, then let's go, come on, let's go. And he goes, oh, no, 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 you don't want to eat with me. And he goes, no, I want to eat with you, I want to eat. He goes, no, don't you know you share you share food with your hands? And he goes, no, I want to eat with you. And he said that the young boy pulled out his hands and he had tape on his hand and blood and scars. And, and he goes, you want to eat with me? And he looked at him and he says, yeah, I want to eat with you. As compelling as that story is, the, the invitation that God gives is far more compelling because all of us have uncleansed hands. All of us have sin. All of us have baggage. All of us has dirt, and yet God in Christ says, yeah, I want to eat. I want to eat with you. Amen? And so to the Christian, the way that you repent from sin and all sin and even human approval is reminding yourself how you were invited, and it was by grace. And then you go and you, you, you return the favor. You invite people by grace, not on their status, but on the status that you have in Christ Jesus. And for those of you who are not Christian, I... I would love to invite you to be a Christian, but I can't. My invitation means nothing. The Bible is very clear. Man cannot offer salvation because salvation belongs to God. However, what I do know to be true about the gospel is that God himself invites all who would come in repentance and faith. So 
It's completely up to you. If you want to believe in Jesus Christ, chances are God's invited you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. God, we confess to you that oftentimes, daily, weekly, Father, we find ourselves in different situations but the same circumstance that Peter was in, and that is, Lord, we seek approval outside of you. Lord, we fear man more than we fear you. And so, God, we pray that your love would overwhelm us and that we would pray with the Apostle Paul that the love of Christ would begin to control us for we can conclude that one has died, therefore all have died. And the one who died, he died for those who live, those of us who live, that we may no longer live for ourselves but live for you. God, I ask for this church that we'd be a church that does live out in the truth of the gospel, that we would reach out to those who are not like us, that we would begin to pour ourselves out to the, the different people at this city. And in this city, God, I pray for those who are here um, this evening that are questioning salvation, Father, they'd continue to question that you'd give them answers in Jesus. And for those of us who are here that know you, God, that we would have a deep sense of repentance, reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. And lastly, Father, I pray for those, those people that, that gather at Tempe Lake, that gather in the city in many places. Not that they would come here, Father, though that would be great, but Lord, that we would go to them. And God, we would take the truth to them. And God, we would live amongst them as faithful people, Lord, that there would be integrity in the gospel because, because in response to Jesus' life that we live integrity, with integrity, Lord, to the truth of the gospel. God, we ask for your spirit to be with us as we come to the table and remember Jesus. God, as we witness baptisms, Father, we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.